Last week we started a message, a sermon series entitled, The Best Year Ever. So I've got a question for you. Are you ready to have the best year of your life? Are you really? Are you ready to get into God's word and say, Lord, show me how to have the best year, Lord. I know that you have good plans for me. Come on, how many of us can say, Lord, I'm in. I'm ready, I'm ready to be the best me. I'm ready to have the best year. I'm ready to be the best blessing I can be. You know, the truth is, if you want blessings, you gotta be a blessing because you will reap what you sow. Many of us want blessings, but we're sowing something other than a blessing. And so I want you to think about that with me for a second because if you wanna receive blessings, you have gotta be willing to plant blessings in the ground. If you're not planting, how can you receive? It's, it's, a, it's a spiritual law, it's a physical law too. If a farmer wants a crop, he has to first plant it. He cannot just go out there and pray for rain and there'd be no seed in the ground. There's gotta be seed. So I want you to think about the seed you're planting here. And we've said that, that, uh, that, that you gotta have the right mindset starting right off the bat. You gotta have the right mindset. And this reminds me of how many of you were here last week and heard one of my resolutions is to do more what? Walking, very good, very good. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to walk at least three miles a day. So we got out and we were walking this weekend and I happened to, to live in Tahitian, so we walked down to Riverside. I like getting on Riverside because Riverside is nice and open. How many of you are familiar with Riverside and Tahitian? If you're not, I'll share it with you. And, and Luke's raising his hand because you saw, you witnessed it. You saw me walking. They were driving their babies around trying to put them to sleep and, and I was walking with my family. And so you get on Riverside and the golf course is right along Riverside and on the other side of the golf course is the Colorado River and it's beautiful. Because the golf course keeps the edge to the river nice and manicured. You can see the river, and it's just, a, it's just a nice, tranquil place to walk. So I'm walking through there, and we come to Tahitian. Now, I'm not a golfer, and I don't golf that golf course. But I do know this. When you hit Tahitian, there's a tee box there, isn't there? And that tee box, there was a couple and a family, and uh, they, they said, good morning, or something to that effect. And our family responded back, and we said, how's your new year? Happy new year. He says, well, I don't know how good it's going to be, because I'm a horrible golfer, and I never keep it in the fair. Well, you better watch out, because I'm always out of bounds. And, I'm... and I thought, wow, he needs this message. He needs this message. You might be here today. If that's you, raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But my wife says to him, he says, oh no, you're going to have the best uh, tee off yet. You're going to have the best game yet. You're going to be right smack in the middle of the fairway. You're going to believe better for this year. And she starts preaching to him. She almost got through halfway of last week's message before he goes, I'm ready. And then he got ready and he just, he hits it. And so we turn around there to go back and we see him and he's smack dab in the middle. And I just see him go. You would, look, how many of you know if you go up and you say to yourself, I'm horrible, I'm not going to be any good, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna hit what you're aiming at. If you're aiming at negativity, guess where your life's going to be headed. If you point in that direction, then guess where you're going to be going. But if you aim towards higher, if you aim towards God, if you aim towards positive, if you aim towards blessing, if you aim towards favor, then you're bound to hit that. 
And so I can almost imagine after that little speech that my wife spoke over him, he began to speak it over himself. I am Tiger Woods. I am Tiger Woods. I am Tiger Woods. Because he did the Tiger Woods move. What what does Tiger do when he, he goes? And he went just like that. He went. I guarantee you he went out and bought himself a red shirt. Because... You will hit what you're aiming at. So I want to ask you right off the bat, what are you aiming at this year? Where are you headed? You say, well, I'm not sure. Be aware of what's coming out of your mouth. That'll tell you where you're aiming. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's in your heart is going to come out of here. You want to think about that. Because that'll give you an indication of where you're aiming. Now, the first thing I want you to know is that, that, that we need to gather momentum momentum at the very beginning of this year. And you say, but momentum is mass times velocity squared. I don't have a lot of mass. I don't have a lot of good things happening. Well, how do you create those good things? How do you create mass? Well, I'll tell you what, that, that avalanche doesn't start with tons of snowflakes. It starts with that first snowflake, and then a second, then a fourth, then an eighth, then a 32nd, the 64th, and it just keeps adding and keeps adding. But by the time it starts to tumble down the mountain, it just grabs and more and more and more until it can cover an entire village or entire town. And so it's the same thing can happen in our lives if we are what? Intentional. So momentum is about small, little, incremental gains. What do I mean by small, incremental gains? I mean doing the right thing even when nobody's watching and no one's there to push you. You're already doing it. You might as well do it right. The Bible says do everything as unto the Lord. Do everything with excellence. You know, this is something I've been trying to get across to my son. You know, and I use the example of the ant because because, uh, Solomon, the great wise prophet and poet wrote this in, in, uh, in Proverbs chapter six. He said, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn. I like that. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. And he says, learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince. What does that mean? They have no prince. They have no governor. They have no ruler to make them work. That means no one's over them snapping the whip encouraging him, telling him, get out of bed. But they get up and they understand that if they do a little something, each of them, every day, they can move a mighty mountain. Amen? I mean, I want you to think about the ant mounds that they can create, and they're so small. If you were to take it, the equivalent, it's like us building these West Texas hills. And, and, And they do it just one grain at a time. Small incremental uh, increases. The the next thing I want you to understand is that the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Do you know when I was first starting foundation, this was a verse that one of my good friends wrote down on a sheet of paper and handed it to me. He said, Zechariah 4.10, don't despise the day of small beginnings. He gave it to me because we were just starting out and we had no membership at all. And then slowly over time, 
faithfully taking those little increases, God began to grow. Do you know that the Bible is talking about Jesus here and the prophet is is prophesying about Jesus ultimately. And he's saying he's going to come as a small little baby in a manger, but he's going to change the entire world and he's going to do it one believer at a time. He's going to pour into 12 and those 12 will pour into 12 more and it'll go and go and go until it it spans the entire globe, crosses countless continents and oceans, and it will be something marvelous and magnificent, but it will all start with small, small gains. You go, what do you mean small, small gains? I mean, you're doing things already. I tell my son this, you might as well do it right. You might as well do it a little better than you did yesterday. I I try to get him to understand that if you're going to study If you're going to sit down to read the material, you're doing it already, right? Why not do it to get as much out of it as possible? If you're going to be out on the basketball shooting baskets, why not do it with an intention to get better? To watch your form, to keep your elbow in, to make sure you got good lift, to make sure you're not starting any bad habits. And some of you are going, yeah, there's some bad habits right there. (laughs) But I'm not a basketball player. But what I'm saying, if you're going to meet someone and you're going to greet someone and you're, going to, and you're going to interact with someone, why not make them feel special? Why not give them their undivided attention? Why not pour into your relationships just a little increase? Can you imagine what that will do relationally for you? Yeah. And if you sow that into others, it'll come back to you. It'll come back to you. What if you're already going to eat? What if you ate healthier? You're already going to sleep. What if you practice some things to help you sleep better? Like stop watching television right before you go to sleep and instead read your Bible so that the God's word washes over you at night. You're already doing some of these things. What if we did them better? What I'm talking about is process, number two. Process is very, very important. As a matter of fact, I told you that there's three different levels And out of those three levels, we came up with this diagram. We came up with the diagram of of results, right? Behavior, identity. Now, I want you to think about this with me for a second. When we set resolutions, when we set goals, when we set our, our New Year's resolutions, we always usually start with what? Results. I want to lose weight. I want to lose 20 pounds. I want to save some money. I want to get out of debt. I want, I want, I want. But do you know the most powerful place you can operate from is from the third level, and that's identity? It's who I am. I am an athletic, in shape, healthy person. I am a person who values the wisdom of God's word, and I do not get in debt. I am a what? a lender and not a borrower. I am a lender and not a borrower. If we start saying who I am, but, but listen, at some point you got to go past your belief and start your action plan. So you will end up at number two, but you can't start off at number two. If you want it to be really powerful, we've said this over and over and over, so I'm not going to belabor it. And I'm going to show you the, uh, the other diagram. You start off with belief. You go to the walk. The walk is the action The evidence is the results. This is the same diagram as the one before. Put the one before up. Do you see it? You start off with your belief, you go to the walk, which is your behavior, and the evidence is the results. 
In other words, if you want to win a Super Bowl, is it enough to say, if you're a coach, I want to win a Super Bowl this year? Can I tell you all 32 coaches say that? I don't know one coach that starts off saying, we want to come in last. I want to get fired at the end, mid-year. You know, I want to make sure I don't have a job at the end of this year. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, the Cowboys have been doing that for a while. No, they have not. Every year, the Cowboys say, we're back. And, but my point is this. Everybody wants results. Everybody wants results. But what separates, say, Belichick from every other coach? Oh, his process. It's the process, believe me. Because if you put the right process in place, where the players, where you get the most out of your team, where you get the most out of your staff, where you get the most out of everything that you do, you will win championships. In other words, the process takes care of the results. Mm. And who you believe yourself to be takes care of your process. So now we're talking about process. What else do I need to know about this process? I'm talking about small incremental gains. Listen to this. If you make a 1% improvement per workday for one year, per workday for one year, that's 260 workdays. You might be tempted to say, okay, I convert that to a, to a decimal, multiply it times the number of workdays. That means I'm going to be 2.6 times better at the end of the year. No, you're forgetting about compound interest. If you do it in, an ex, in the exponential equation, then you will come out with literally an increase of 13.3 times better at the end of the year. And if you work every single day of that year, you're gonna be 37.78 times better. Do you see the vast improvement, just these small incremental gains? In case you're still wondering, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know what, what you're talking about. Let me put it to you in a real-life example about process. Now, I came across this story, and I thought it was, it was awesome. The fate of the British cycling team changed one day in 2003. 2003, I want you to understand how significant this is because for, for over a hundred years, the British cycling team had been so mediocre and so, um, can we just say sorry, <laughs> that they had problems getting sponsorships and not only just sponsorships, but there were some manufacturers that didn't want them to use their gear because they were so bad. That's like having a basketball team and Nike coming to you and saying, you cannot use our shoes because we don't want our shoes to be associated with your team. That's how bad they were. In a hundred years, they hadn't won one Tour de France and they had only won one gold medal. One. Now they hire a new director, a new performance director. And this is Dave Brailsford. And Dave Brailsford comes in and he adheres to this idea of small, minute, incremental changes across everything that you do. He started off by things that, that you would normally uh, expect. Like for instance, he started off by asking them to consider wearing some shorts that would keep their body temperature at a certain place. He asked them to rub alcohol on their tires so that their tires could grip better. 
He asked them to do all sorts of little things uh, about workouts that you would expect. And they're each trying to increase every level of the things that they do. But then some things that you might not expect. Like for instance, he, he, um, he started changing out some of the components, like, like making them more comfortable so that the, the riders could ride better and not have to constantly be in discomfort. He, he tried out an aerodynamic suits to see which suit could shave off just milliseconds of their time, and he decided to go from an outdoor suit to an indoor suit. He also decided to try out uh, sports gels to see which gel, massage gel, would, would lead to the fastest recovery time of their muscles. He also decided to hire a surgeon to teach them how to wash their hands. Listen to me, they were already washing their hands. But why did he want them to do it in excellence? Because he could keep them from getting the flu and getting other sicknesses that would, that would affect their, 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 uh, their work time. He also tested out the best pillows and mattresses which they carried with them on the road so that they could get the best night's sleep and recover. Not only that, but he painted the, 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 the vans where they kept the equipment solid white and had a clean room-like environment so that if they, could, they saw any speck of dust or hair, they would immediately clean it up so that it would not erode the integrity of the components of the bikes. I mean, everything you say, well, what happened? It took five years for anything to happen. It took five years. In other words, when you first start boiling water, it doesn't just boil. You've got to add the energy and it's going to increase from one degree to another degree to another degree till finally you get to that point where it begins to boil. And I'll tell you, when it began to boil, they showed up at the Olympics. I got to find my place here so I can get the statistics absolutely right. At the Beijing Games, they won an astounding 60% of the gold medals available. Four years later, when the, Olympics, when the Olympics Games came to London, come on now, their hometown, the Brits raised the bar as they set nine Olympic records and even seven world records. That same year, Bradley Wiggins became the first British cyclist to ever win the Tour de France. The next year, his teammate Chris Formu won the race, and he would win again in, in, in 15, in 16, and in 17. And the British team would win five Tour de France victories in the next six years. Small incremental increases. What if you're already doing something? You're already in the midst of your process. What have you decided to do it, as the Lord says, as unto him? With excellence. Everything you do, I'm already doing it. I'm going to do it in excellence. Come on, what I'm asking you to do is understand the power of process. In the book of Romans, he, he explains the power of process. Read with me in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 2. Through whom also we have access by what? Remember, we've been talking about faith is what? Belief. It starts with belief, but then it moves to walk. Process. Okay? You have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in what? Are you kidding me? Meaning we're like, Lord, I have so much hope in you that I know that you work all things out 
for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So Lord, I can't wait to, to attack a tribulation. I can't wait to be tested. I can't wait to see, because I know that you're a big, great, awesome God and it's for my benefit. Every test produces a what? A testimony. I can't wait to be promoted, God. Listen to what happens here. There's a process here. Tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. What we're saying, Lord, you've given me this awesome power called the Holy Spirit inside of me, and I know 2020 is going to be an opportunity to see that thing roar, to see it roar. So, so we were over at, uh, at uh, the Cusco's house, and uh, we were eating some tacos because Olivia, their youngest daughter, she's 12 years old, she came up, she goes, Pastor Chris, do you like tacos? I love tacos. That's why I got to walk three miles a day, <laughs> you know, but uh, she says, what, I'm going to see if my mom will get you to come over. So we went over, and Letty was talking about the first time Dimitri got her on a, on a motorcycle bike, and she crashed, and I kind of made fun of her, and I go, the reason I can make fun of you, because one day I was going to preach a message, and I asked one of our parishioners to bring his uh, classic Harley, and uh, some of you who were there remember what happened. I didn't end up preaching the message because he got there early and in the parking lot, he said, Pastor Chris, get on the Harley, man. Take it for a spin. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't, I, I don't do that. I haven't ridden since high school. No. I mean, since college, I'm not going to do it. He says, come on, get on it. So I get on it. He goes, come on, start it up, start it up. Come on. You know how it goes. Bad company corrupts good character. And so I'm like, no, 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 no. He goes, come on, you're not going to bring it. I'm not going to bring this Harley all this way and have you not ride it. So he gets me on it. I'm in the parking lot of the school where we were meeting at the time. And I forget that there's a median there with a big light pole. Because I'm checking out the Harley going, man, this is awesome. I look up and I lay it down, break my collarbone, bruise my hip. Just, it was horrible. Scratch up his Harley like crazy. You go, well, what's the whole point of the message? The whole point of the message is this. Some of us are on life's super highway on a, on a 10 speed. When God has given us this awesome power of a Harley that lives inside of you. And it's called the Holy Spirit. And here Paul is saying, you know what? Let the Holy Spirit rev a little bit. Just, just give it a go. Let him go. And, to, and this year, God wants to show you what he can do in you, through you, and in spite of you, if you would just let him go a minute. That's my point for you. There's a process. If you start dedicating that process to the Lord and start, and, and watch this, there's also a negative process. This incremental increase can also work against you if you're going in the wrong direction. Listen to what the, the, uh, uh, the Bible says in the book of James, then when desire has conceived, another version uses the word lust. When lust has conceived, this is what I'm trying to tell you. If you're pointed in the right direction, this can bless you. But if you're pointed in the wrong direction, what are your eyes pointed to? The Bible warns us of the lust of the eyes. I don't get it. Okay, it's very easy. Are you pointed towards materialism? All you think about is stuff and things. Things you can't take into heaven. That'll show you where your life is pointed. If all you're pointed to is money, if all you're pointed to is accolades and, and a worldly success, or how about this? What if you're pointed to a negative view of your spouse? What if you're pointed to a negative view of your children? 
What if all you can see is what they do wrong? Watch what the Bible says here. He says, then when desire or lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That means that's the way the enemy steals from you. He gets you going in the wrong direction. He uses his compound interest against you. Watch, if you're investing, compound interest is your best friend. But if you're borrowing, compound interest is your worst enemy. Your worst enemy. So you need to understand that process is basically routine. So number three, I want you to understand the power of routine linking. Watch this. Every one of us has a routine that we do all the time. And if you want to link something really good to it, it's very powerful to link it to something you do all the time. And, and, and tying in the whole concept of these little incremental gains, I was with the Cusco's. And Dimitri was talking and he said this, he said, you know what, I got so busy and I was doing so many different things that I was having trouble keeping up with my, with my wallet and my keys and I would spend 30 minutes or more always looking for my keys and he goes, this is crazy, I gotta come up with a routine and then it hit me. I've been preaching on this thing. And so I decided to link to something I already do a habit, a ritual, a routine that will help me save at least 30 minutes a day. Come on, how many of you have seen me look for my keys more than once? <laughs> I lose my keys all the time. Like I lose my cell phone all the time. I lose my glasses all the time. I, I, I've told you, I've lost them on a mountain. I've lost them in the river walk. I've lost them in the ski, skiing. I've lost them everywhere. On the beach, I've lost them everywhere. So I said, this is ridiculous. If I want to become a more productive individual, I got to start keeping up with my keys. So what do I do every time I get home? Every time I get home, what do you do? You walk in the door. See, you're, you're jumping ahead. You walk in the door. So I walk in the door, I put my keys in the drawer. I walk in the door, I put my keys in the drawer. So now I walk in the door, I literally say this. I unlock the door, I walk in the door, put my keys in the drawer. I'm, now I'm putting all my stuff in the drawer. Put all my stuff in the drawer. That way I know where it's at. But, but I don't live just at, the, at, at home. Do you know I spend more time here? So I walk in the church, put my stuff on the perch. Kind of rhymes, right? You can thank Arthur Winfield for that. He's like, I walk in the church, I put all my stuff on the perch. There's a little perch that I have there in my office inside all my stuff. You say, oh, that's so silly. I would never lose my keys. But what do you struggle with that I don't? This is what I struggle with that maybe you don't, but it's 30 minutes for me. I just increased my productivity by at least, at least 30 minutes. What could you do if you just routine link? Here's another one. I've been wanting to, to, to start push-ups. I haven't been able to do it. Haven't been able to do push-ups because I'm, I'm, I always say, okay, at lunchtime I'll do push-ups. Or when I get up, I do push-ups. But I didn't have a specific time. So now I link it to my routine. What do I do every morning without fail? I brush my teeth. What do I do every night without fail? I brush my teeth. So now, this is what I say. After I brush my teeth, I will do push-ups in my bedroom. Or actually, I do them in my bathroom. So finish, dry myself off, hit it, baby. Y'all just thought I was out of shape. I need a second to catch my breath. <laughs> 
Listen, routine linking is powerful, guys. Powerful. Number four, routine is created. That means rituals are a process. How do you create them? Well, science has told us you need a trigger. You'll see the next slide. You need a trigger, you need a desire, you need a response, and you need a reward. What do you mean a trigger? Do you know, do you know Satan knows this better than anybody? What does he trigger you with? Is it a donut? Is it a pretty individual, a pretty guy, a pretty girl? Is it a nice car, big houses, money? What, what does he trigger you with? That creates and, and elicits a desire. Remember when desire is full grown, it gives birth to... There's a process in this thing. This is, you say, oh, that's psychology. No, listen, any science, when it's done right, it always lines up with God's word. Truth is truth, regardless of where you find it. It's true in the church house and it's true in the world. Watch this. When the Christian says that borrowing is not a good idea, that's true. When the Muslim says borrowing is not a good idea, that's true. When the, when the atheist says borrowing is not a good idea, that's true too. We don't have a lock on all truth. Two plus two is still for here and in the secular university. Truth is truth. And, and so you have some psychology here that's true. It's backed up by God's word. You will have a trigger. You will have a desire. You will have a response and you will have a reward. Okay. So if you want it to go positive for you and you want to increase positive rituals, then you need to make it obvious. That means it needs to be out in front of you. Watch this. I want to start eating more fruit and I want my children to eat more fruit. So I buy a bunch of fruit. I put it down in the bottom of the bin in the crisper and it goes bad. Why? Because it's not obvious. It's not out in front of you. Out of sight. Come on, out of. Watch. I want to start reading my Bible more. So I take my physical Bible I enter it into my routine and I make it obvious. What do I do every day? I get up and I put my feet on the ground. I have my oofs there. What are oofs? They're the best slides ever. They're awesome. They're recovery sandals. So I put them on and I literally say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I shall rejoice and be glad in it. Wouldn't it be awesome to grab my Bible, put it on the on my pillow so that when I get home at night and I go to bed, my Bible's already there, obvious. See, my son eats, I want him to eat more fruit, but he hates bananas. What if I make bananas obvious, but they're not desirable? So what do you like? Put it, make it obvious, make it desirable. Now he loves apples. I put apples on the counter, they are gone. I can't keep up with him. Just gone. Elicit an easy response. It's easy. How? Because I wash them. I get them all clean. All you have to do is grab it, start munching. Number four, satisfying. Have it be satisfying. It's got to be rewarding. If it's not rewarding, you won't do it. You say, okay, pastor, that's how I encourage myself to do something. How do I keep myself from doing it? Okay, negate the bottom row. How do you make it unobvious? Make it invisible. Get it out of the house. You don't want to eat junk food? Get it out of the house. Make it to where you can't even see it. What do I mean? Make it unattractive. It's unattractive for me to have to go to Walmart or HEB. I hate going there. Sorry, guys, if you work there. But it, it's a madhouse. 
So I don't want to go there. I don't want to have to buy my junk food fresh every day if I keep throwing it away. Oh, so don't throw it away. No, no, no. I'm going to do what this, I'm going to make it invisible. I'm going to make it unattractive. I'm going to make it really hard to get. And it's very dissatisfying to me. So if you negate it, you can stop doing certain things. If you, what? Do the positive of them with the things you want to promote. So what I'm trying to get us to understand is that we need to start to be aware. Number five, we need to get some real awareness. Do you know the Bible talks a lot about awareness? Watch what Paul tells his young protege, Timothy, in chapter four of 1 Tim. He says, keep a close watch on yourself. What's it mean by that? Be introspective. Who are you? What do you want from this year? What things need to stop happening? What things need to be increased? Am I a gripey person? Am I a grouch? Do I look at my wife a certain way? Do I treat my children with disdain? Do I, am I impatient? What needs to start disappearing and what needs to be increased? Be aware of who you are. Watch this. Romans 12, verse 3. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. What does that mean? Be self-aware and understand, where am I really at? If you give yourself a false grade, that's not good. Because you're only lying to yourself. So watch what Paul is saying. But think of yourself, what? With sober judgment. Don't be disillusioned. Really look at your life and say, what can I increase? How can I get better? That means don't think of yourself too low and don't think of yourself too high. You gotta have it just right. You know, pastor, that's hard to do. That's why you need the Holy Spirit involved. And you need to be saying, Holy Spirit, come on, I need your help to help me be aware of where you want me and need me to work. Because you're bringing about this change in me. Lord, you're the one that sets the rituals. You're the one that's gonna give me the power to to go uh, beyond. But watch this. Sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has given or assigned. Now, some of you might be thinking, but pastor, I've been assigned such little faith. I got like a nickel's worth of faith. Can I tell you, if you, if you plant that nickel, you'll have a dime. If you plant that dime, you'll have 20 cents, and then the 20 cents goes to 40, and on and on and on. Because if you're faithful with the little you have, God will give you more. And if you have a little, you got to start doing this incremental increase of it. And you have to be good stewards and say, okay, Lord, I have a little bit. You gave it to me. I want to multiply this, so I'm going to believe your word. How can I believe your word if I don't study it? Ooh. Come on. I'm trying to help you if you let me. Watch what Galatians says. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Saying you got to know who you are. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. To put it as that great theologian Ice Cube did. He said what? Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Number six. (laughs) Some of you are going, now he's quoting Ice Cube. This is the what generation again? I don't know. We got like millennials in here. The me, the X, the Y, all all of it. Number six, discipline versus temptation. And this is where we end. Discipline versus temptation. 
I know what many of you are thinking. You're thinking, all I need is more discipline to overcome my temptation. Do you realize that uh, years ago, I asked you as a congregation to begin the year with a word. How many of you would practice that word? You, meaning, this is what we've prayed about, and our family believes that God has this word for us for this year, that we can concentrate on this prerogative. And so for us, it was discipline, mainly my word, discipline, because I need to become more disciplined. So I, I went through the year, and I prayed again, and God said, discipline. I'm like, man, I just failed the the year. I got held back. Then when you, you're like, okay, God really wants to do something awesome because he's given me discipline. Now he's given me discipline on top of discipline. Yeah. So I kind of talked myself into a good view of things and I went for it again. Third year comes around. God says discipline. I'm going, okay, Lord, I got to get out of kindergarten. Come on. Everybody else has these other words. They're getting all excited. You keep going with discipline. So I started asking, what's going on, God? And God finally said, you're, you're not. How are you doing with that discipline thing? I said, I'm failing, obviously. And, and, and this, he said, why? I said, because I can't seem to do it. And he said, bingo. He said, you're trying to do it in your own strength. And you're going to keep repeating until you realize it's not in your strength. It's by my strength. Not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. It's going to be by my spirit that you will overcome. And you keep trying to brag in my presence, and I won't have you do that, son. Ooh. So I said, okay, what do you want me to do? I need you to understand how to overcome temptation. So I started really studying, and this is what the Bible says. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. The spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. You know, the apostle Paul said that. He said, the things I want to do, I can't seem to do. And the things I don't want to do, I just keep doing them. Anyone in the room feel that way? He says, I've had to learn to surrender to God because it's he's the, he's the one that's going to work in me, through me, and in spite of me for his good pleasure, for his good work. So are you telling me that, that this whole message, I thought it was about how I can make myself better, my life better. It all comes back to God. You are in church. I'm not Tony Robbins or Anthony Robbins. I'm not one of these, you know, get, get yourself better gurus. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. If you could do it, then you could get to heaven without him. He wouldn't have had to come. But he did come because we can't do it on our own. And the sooner we realize it, the sooner we understand that it's through his power that we overcome. So watch what Jesus says about overcoming temptation. I've got, uh, I've got two minutes. Listen to this. And if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. <gasps> That's not a positive message, Pastor. Okay, watch this. He says, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. Does that mean 
No, watch. If you pluck this eye out, you got the other one. You pluck that one out. And then what happens when you're still thinking about it? It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. If you know there's a temptation, quit trying to overcome it. You cannot overcome temptation. Science has showed us this, shown us this. If you take a so-called disciplined person and you put them next to a, an undisciplined person and you construct a, uh, an experiment by which all things are equal, they will score almost identical. Why? Because the, the, the so-called disciplined person isn't overcoming temptation. They've learned how to what? How to keep temptation away. If you put temptation in your face, you're going to fall. And what Jesus is saying, get temptation out. If it's your hand, I don't care how much you love it. I don't care how much you love Facebook. If it's, uh-oh, I'd rather lose a hand. <laughs> you know, I, I, you see what I'm saying? I don't care how much you love some friends. If they're causing you to stumble, you got to get rid of them. I don't care how much you love that job. If that job is causing you to stumble, find another one. I don't care what it is. God is saying, take temptation and throw it out. Because if you leave temptation in your face, we all understand it when we talk about something like alcoholism. If I have a problem with alcoholism and I choose to have every meal in the bar because it's a great special, you know, I'm going to fall. This is what he's saying here. Stay with me on this. He says, get rid of it and then, then make a covenant with God. Get the Holy Spirit involved. A covenant is a spiritual partnership in a spiritual union. It's a union. It's literally saying, God, I want to be united with you. I make a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman, huh? With lust. Oh, I'm glad I don't have a problem with that. Well, then maybe your, your covenant needs to be something like this. I make a covenant with my eyes not to look on materialism, fancy cars, and not to look on Facebook and get envious, not to look at my spouse with disdain, not to look at my spouse and constantly think negatively. How, how about this? I make a covenant with my eyes not to talk negatively about the president. Oh, uh, now you're meddling. You were preaching, now you're meddling. Yeah. Or my boss or my pastor. Thank you. Got a, got a one amen. Like, it was kind of like a... Mm-hmm. Okay, we're finished with this verse. Watch this. Once you start getting the Lord involved, then you can understand what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church. He said, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you. He will show you. He will show you a way out. He will show you a way out. So when you pray, pray, Father, lead us not into temptation. So you're saying, God, I need you to lead me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Deliver me from evil. So we've talked about a lot of things, but mainly I want you to walk away saying, I, I got to start doing the right things a little bit better at a time. I'm already doing them, 
And I need your Holy Spirit, Lord, to show me those things I need to increase and those things I need to decrease. And God, there's some things that I need to decrease that are really tough and they have a hold of me and I'm going to need your spirit to lead me out of temptation. I'm going to need your spirit to help me. So as the prayer partners come up and the worship team gets ready, can I just have every bow, every head bow real quick? Every head bow. And, and, and the prayer partners are going to come up. And I want to ask you to do one thing for me. I want you to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, would you begin to guide me right now? Would you begin to set up my new year? Bring to my mind and my heart those things that I really need to increase. Show me how to link them into my current routine. Give me wisdom, Lord, from on high. And then, God, those things that, that I should stay away from, I need you to start to just bring conviction in my heart, Lord. There's certain things that I have developed a routine in my life that, that I need to start making things invisible, unattractive, hard. I need to make them hard, Lord, and very unrewarding. I need to think about the fact that I'm actually hurting my future. And I need your help, Lord. So in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand up and begin to sing. But if you're having those conversations with the Holy Spirit right now, and the Holy Spirit is sharing something with you, I'm going to ask you to seal it. Seal it before you leave this place. Seal it with prayer. Come and take someone's hand here at the front and begin to ask them to pray for you. Just say, I need to seal this up with prayer. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand. Would you stand? Raquel's going to sing and the team's going to play. And I want you to just pray and have a conversation with the Lord right now. And if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, I want you to just come up. Right now, don't let anything stop you. Just begin to move right now and come up to the front. I love you, church. I love you, church.